Navy Federal is proud to serve more than 8 million members, including active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their families. You will receive a lifetime of membership benefits with Navy Federal, and you can easily access accounts, transfer money, pay bills, and deposit checks with the Navy Federal mobile app. Visit NavyFederal.org MLB for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. Whether you're a general contractor, flooring specialist, or renovation expert, you want to get your job done quickly and with the right product and at the right price. With more than a million square feet of in-stock tile, wood, and stone under one roof, Floor & Decor has the options a pro wants at everyday low prices. Plus, they have the tools and services you need to save time and money. Visit FloorAndDecor.com to find the location nearest you. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. This week, we've got our all-Ringer team episode plus some A's talk with Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, But first, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. We are going to be producing our last episode of the regular season slash first episode of the playoffs next week. And part of that is going to include a mailbag segment with Bobby and me. So if you want your question answered on air, send it to us uh, on Twitter at Michael Bauman or at BWAGS or via email at ringermlb at gmail.com. And we'll get to a couple of those this week. Now on to Adeni Hechevarria. All right, we're going to kick things off. So what we're going to do today, we're going to have sandwiching our guest segment. Ben and Zach are going to pick uh, our all ringer teams for this baseball season as we wrap up the the year. But before we get into that, uh, Bobby, I want your thoughts on something. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, Adeni Hechevarria, uh, former... New York Mets infielder is now the uh, now on the Atlanta Braves who is being interviewed after a game. Have you heard this this quotation, Bobby? I have heard this quotation, Mike. Oh, I'm going to say it through an interpreter. He said, I just want to thank God for the opportunity removing me from the Mets and putting me on this team. And so I'm interested your thoughts. And sorry, Zach, we'll get to you in a second. Your thoughts on on thanking God for being removed from the Mets. I can't possibly be mad at that. I think I tweet I tweeted yesterday about how Mets fandom is like possibly worse than being put on the stretching rack. So, Adani Echeverria, we're together in spirit, I guess. How could I be mad about him wanting to get out of that situation and go to the Braves where it seems like they actually have a good, fun, young team and they're investing in it? So, yeah. Uh, Not mad at it. It's fine. He was a utility infielder. I like that you and I, like, we spend more time bad-mouthing our own teams than bad-mouthing each other's teams. But. Pretty much, yeah. It's like the only reason that we can remain friendly and cordial on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, one one man who's friendly and cordial to everybody is Zach Cram, uh, who's been sitting in polite silence while I do this bit. Zach. Hello. I, I just think it's funny that, you know, 60 years ago, Joe DiMaggio thanked the Lord for making him a Yankee, and now we have people thanking the Lord for making him no longer a Met. Well, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. I think we can say this uh, through the course of New York baseball. So, uh, yeah, uh, good for Denny Hatcheveria. Uh, did he make the all ringer team? I don't think so. With that late quote, you know, he he went closer into contention, but we already have enough Mets on this team that we're going to unveil. I think um, as the conceit goes, this is. The players we have discussed most throughout the year who have captured our attention, who have been 
from a broader perspective, generally, they've been very good players, but not all of them. Some of them will contend for actual rest of season awards. But, you know, for some of the others, this will be the greatest hardware they achieve from their 2019 season. Yeah, I remember uh, Marwin Gonzalez made all ringer in 2016, and I don't think he ever he ever topped that in his career. Uh, yeah, so this is not necessarily the best. This is not necessarily the ones we like. Or, you know, it's just sort of a, a very subjective thing. You know, players who... One thing I, I actually find uh, unsatisfying about the pressure to, like, actually vote for the best players in, in MVP and Cy Young voting and so forth is that you don't always get the guy who really carried the narrative. And, I, th- you know, sometimes you do. But there is, I think, a, a hole in the imagination for for players who were an important part of the season or important part of the discussion and had great years but weren't necessarily good enough to take home the hardware. So some of those players are certainly, certainly mentioned here. So why don't you, you kick us off uh, with our all-Ringer National League catcher. So the Ringer National League catcher is JT Real Muto, who was, I believe, the Phillies' only all-star this season. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about Real Muto this offseason, given our admiration for both him and other players in that deal, like Sixto Sanchez and Jorge Alfaro. But what's impressed me most about Real Muto this year is I think everyone at the Ringer MLB show is a framing aficionado. We love catchers who can steal strikes and prevent would-be balls. And Real Muto is having by far the best framing season of his career. He's, in fact, one of the best framers in baseball this year. He is also having the best blocking season of his career and the best throwing season of his career on defense. So even though his bat has regressed a little bit, I think he's quietly been the Phillies MVP, which might not mean much given where they, they're in the standings right now. But given our proclivities as a staff, I think Real Muto stands out. Yeah, he's... Uh... The framing is one one reason that I was skeptical of the deal because when it happened, because I thought Jorge Alfaro had a huge advantage in, in that respect. And Real Muto's closed the gap. And the throwing is, you know, I I always liked his athleticism. I always liked his bat as a catcher. Uh, the throwing is just next level. Like, it's, I don't want to invoke, like, Pudge Rodriguez or Charles Johnson, but it's that, it, it, he's that good at throwing at base runners. And, and that's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and so, now we won't talk about the Phillies again. Nope. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about, for first base, I think if we had an all-ringer, had to give this to one player, it would probably be Pete Alonso, right? Mm-hmm. And not just because our Slack is dominated by Mets fans uh, who like to praise Pete Alonso and cry about everything else. Uh, he's just genuinely been, been, I think, one of those league-wide narrative guys by any by anybody's standards. And he won the home run derby. He has 50 home runs, has a chance to break uh, Aaron Judge's rookie record, which is 52 homers. And like, I I think we'll be talking about another player later on this list where the team called him up instead of holding him down for two weeks to gain an extra year of service time. And I think every baseball fan is appreciative of that in Alonso's case because he's a rookie who's probably going to lead the league in home runs. And that's really cool. All right, uh, let's move on to second base. I think this this is probably the weakest position where you know a, a strong consensus strong consensus candidate uh, didn't really reveal himself until uh, until very late in the process. And for us, uh, with no disrespect to players like Cattell Marte, uh, I think the answer is Keston Hira of the Brewers. You will notice probably that our list will be heavy on rookies, but rookies are fun and exciting. Rookies are novel, too, which is important for this. And he's been awesome, especially for 
a Brewers team that like is now missing Christian Yelich and will still make the playoffs anyway. I think the MLB fan base at large that doesn't necessarily know who here is will get a nice introduction to him in the October this year. He has 19 homers in AAA, 18 homers in the majors, and has just, I mean, he's hitting over 300. He's been phenomenal uh, for a team that needs the offensive boost. Yep. I traded him in fantasy and did not make the playoffs. Shortstop. Shortstop, you were alluding to Fernando Tatis. I mean, he's been in the the spotlight since day one as part of that incredible Padres rookie class. Um, Pete Alonso is going to run away with the the rookie of the year award. I don't think it's going to be that controversial, but I think on a per game basis, Tatis was better than Alonso this year and just didn't amass the playing time to to hit some of those uh, statistical milestones. It was shocking, not just how well he adapted offensively, but how much that athleticism played uh, in terms of base running and defense. You know, it, 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 he almost like the the parallels between him and Manny Machado are obvious, but it almost looks like he's quicker, stronger, faster, you know? So I, he's, I'm very excited to watch him going forward if he can stay healthy. Did anyone have more highlights this year of like those videos that people will pass around on Twitter where it's like, look who scored from first on a single or look who scored from second on an infield single. He just was so full of kinetic excitement uh, that it's a shame we missed out on him for the last couple months as he's been hurt. Moving on to third base, it's kind of cheating, but Tommy Edmond, who is in the ringer family. I think he's the uh, ultimate all ringer player, frankly. Somebody, you know, he's a rookie who came up and made a difference, but also like there's a specific reason we talk about him. And even at midseason when Donnie was talking about Tommy Edmond and we were all excited for Donnie's sake. Tommy Edmond looked like a utility player and especially on a Cardinals team that seems set at the infield spots. It wasn't clear how much playing time he would actually get, but he's displaced Matt Carpenter as the everyday third baseman for a division winner or a likely division winner. And his WRC plus right now is up to 119, which means he's been 19% better than average at the plate. And that's where we weren't sure if that would translate to the major leagues, but he's a better hitter this year than players like Manny Machado and Corey Seager and Vlad Guerrero Jr. And do I expect him to be better than them going forward? No, but once you add in his base running and his defense and like just over the weekend, he had a couple triples at Wrigley and triples are really exciting to watch. So Edmund's just been almost a daily delight uh, in the ringer world of baseball following. Yeah. Once he gets to the playoffs, like, John Smoltz and Joe Buck are going to love him. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's who's next up? We're getting to the outfield now. Uh, first outfielder is no longer playing, but Christian Yelich. Just what can you say about how good he's been this year? I was one of the people who wasn't sure how much regression he would have this season just because he seemed, even as he was hot down the stretch last year, to be getting pretty fortunate with things like how often his fly balls would leave the yard. He was a historical outlier and continued the exact same trend this year over a full season. So I'm done doubting Christian Yelich. He probably would have reached 50 homers and 30 steals had he not gotten hurt, and nobody in Major League history has done that. And when you're combining those two skill sets I think that in and of itself is fascinating and enough to put you on everyone's radar. Yeah, it, he combines so many things that like there's there's something for everybody with him that there's uh, the production obviously speaks for itself. The entertainment value, just the way he hits the ball, how hard he hits it, um, his uh, you know, the way he runs the bases, that sort of thing. There's 
the underlying like statistical process thing that I think people like you and Ben and me who really get who really enjoy like you know player development stories or or uh you know really naughty statistical issues there's he's embodied that just in terms of of the evolution of of his swing over the years or maybe not the evolution of his swing but the evolution of his his batted ball distribution there's something for that and fourth is the nudity um and I think <laughs> if you combine all uh all those things you're shooing for all ringer. The the next guy combines those same uh, power speed dynamics, which is Ronald Acuna Jr. of the uh, National League East winning Braves. Currently three steals away from 40-40, and I'm not sure if he'll get there. It's I don't think of, he's going to get there. Well, it's that's up to a, him if he wants to. a lot in a week. Yeah, if he decides he wants to steal three bases, he probably could, but Atlanta might not want him running given that they've already clinched the division. But Acuna is great. We have so much fun young talent this year. I think it's easy to overlook the guys who were new last year just because there are so many new ones. But players like Acuna and Juan Soto have been phenomenal once again. And I know Acuna had one big playoff moment last year where he hit a grand slam in Atlanta's only NLDS victory. And I'm curious to see what more he has in store uh, this postseason. Yeah, that really felt like the beginning of something. Like, I don't know, there's there's a basketball, you know, metaphor and you know, like James Harden in the in the in the finals with the Thunder or something. You know, there's there's got to be a parallel where you're like, "Oh, this this kid is going to like you really get that moment where he really bursts on the scene." And I think that home run in the playoffs last year was was part of that. I picked him to win MVP this year and I don't think he's going to do it. I wouldn't vote for him if if I had to vote for that, but uh you talk about power speed, just the the aesthetics of that right-handed swing. I don't know if I've ever seen a right-handed swing that pretty. Um, it's glorious. And, yeah, and like this time last year, I was picking Soto over him, and obviously that's going to, it's, it might be, that might be this generation's Trout-Harper debate, but, uh, you know, a year into into that, uh, that pick, which is, you know, to say nothing against Juan Soto, who's been excellent himself, um, I wish I had that one back, so. Wow. Big news from Michael. Well, you know, I've I reserved the right to change my mind again at the end of next season. Okay. That's uh, so. Let's go to go to pitchers now. Well, we have one more outfielder. Oh, we do have one more outfielder. The guy who's actually going to win the MVP, I think. Yeah, go for it. Cody Bellinger is uh, is large, and he is real, and he is going to be the NL MVP in all likelihood. Uh, he's a guy who was very interesting in his first two full seasons in the major leagues, just in terms of his power, in terms of his defensive versatility. Uh, the one, like, I'm sort of half inclined to make a sort of trolley case for Acuna just because, for MVP, just because I'm not really sure what to make of Bellinger's defensive leap. He's been, like, had one of those Mookie Betts center fielder in a corner uh, kind of defensive war seasons. And I think that's been a big a big factor in the increase in his overall value versus a guy who's playing a lot of first base and expected to stay there versus somebody who's now a very good defensive corner outfielder. Um, I mean, the the power already spoke for itself, but he's really taken a, a leap as an all-around hitter this year. The one disappointing thing from Bellinger is that as late as May 21st, he was hitting 400 this year, and we knew he wasn't going to stick up near 400, but even still, May 21st is one of the latest dates that someone has hit 400 this decade and now if you look at his batting average it's 302 so he will 
have fallen from over 400 to almost maybe below 300 by the end of the season, which just underscores how impossible it is to even approach 400 at this point. Um, so that was sad, but basically everything else about Bellinger's season uh, is an A+. Yeah, the most impressive thing for me is that uh, he's striking out and walking almost even this year. He's within about a dozen uh, after being like 150 strikeout guys first couple time or cu- first couple runs through the the major league. So I think that's I mean that's indicative of of just a really important step forward as a ball player. Even if that's maybe not the most interesting part of his game. Who do you think is out of active major leaguers who would stand the best chance at, at hitting 400 over a season? Williams Astudio. There you go. It's probably it's probably like Altuve or someone. It's got maybe. I don't think it's Altuve anymore. I think as recently as a year or two ago, he would have been my slam dunk choice. But uh, I'm not going to say this just because Bobby's the producer. But like Jeff McNeil, maybe. Oh, get out. He hits has a lot of contact. I don't know. The problem is there are just too many strikeouts now. Maybe like Nick Madrigal. Uh, Look him up if you don't know who he is. But he is in double A and like never, ever, ever strikes out uh, a former top five pick. So maybe someone like him, there are just too many strikeouts in the game now to even approach it. That's probably true. All right. The first pitcher on our list is someone who I think I wrote out of the Cy Young conversation earlier in the season, but now actually might win another one. And that's Jacob deGrom, who combined with uh, slumpy second halves from Max Scherzer and Hyunjin Ryu Looks like possibly the Cy Young favorite at this point with a week to go. Uh, DeGrom's been excellent, especially in the second half. And he's just fun to watch every single time he takes the mound. Yeah, I mean, it would be kind of fake. Well, first of all, like I'm I'm having a hard time picking like a sentimental favorite in the NL Cy Young race because I think, you know, Scherzer's one of those guys who's lost a couple close decisions and maybe deserves another one. Uh, but DeGrom was good enough last year. He deserved two. So if that, you know, if we get that carryover effect, then the Denny McLean 69 Cy Young, if that's what what he gets this year, that's perfect. That, you know, it's perfectly fine by me. Um, And amazing if the Mets win both the Cy Young and Rookie of the Year and don't make the playoffs. Wouldn't that be a I mean, they're also very well represented on on all ringer. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is the guy you had up next. He I think has dropped from the conversation a bit ever since the trade deadline when he both wasn't traded to a contender and the Giants almost immediately plummeted down the standings after they made their uh, great July run. I think Bumgarner, his surface numbers suggest that this is maybe his worst ever season. But uh, if you look at his underlying numbers, he's actually improved over last year. He's going to be a really interesting free agent case because he has that playoff success, but he also could potentially have some Dallas Keuchel in him where teams are afraid to invest longer term in a pitcher with his profile. But Bumgarner, in maybe his last season in San Francisco, generated a lot of conversation and I think deserves to make the team accordingly. Yeah, I I think the all the conversation about the trades and which never which never materialized in the conversation about uh the end of that era between you know, him maybe leaving in Bruce Bochy's in t- uh, impending retirement, or maybe not if he comes out of retirement to coach or to manage Padres next year. Um, the most important thing for Bumgarner for me was not the rate stats. It was that he just threw 200 good innings after a mm-hmm. couple years where he just missed. And it wasn't, you know, repetitive injuries, really. It was just one freak injury after another. But just seeing him, like, that's the value he provides right now. I don't think he was ever... Uh, 
as good a a pitcher on a game to game basis as that 2014 postseason run uh, sort of built his reputation up into being. But the biggest thing about Bumgarner is he's just going to go out there and throw 200 innings a season and keep you in games uh, and give you a chance to win. And like that's so rare nowadays. I think that's that's probably even rarer than the ability to go out there and do something more you know, 2018 Blake Snelly and just be uh, spectacular over, you know, five or six innings at a time. And, you know, maybe you miss a, a little bit of time here and there. Just the reliability. I think smart teams will come to value that in the years to come. And the last starting pitcher, we only chose three, is your favorite uh, cowboy in the majors, right? Oh, is that true? I'd have to think about that. I, I mean, There are so many. But Chris Paddock uh, made the team after just an electric debut, I don't think there was anyone who was a better watch throughout you know April than Chris Paddock was. And he settled in over the last few months. His statistics ended up looking pretty good, but not as stellar as they once were. But combined with Tatis, I think even though the Padres underachieved uh, this year based on some expectations, they seem to have the middle of the order shortstop guy and the top of the rotation pitcher ready for next year when you mean we Garrett all expect Richards. them to take the leap. Well, yes, and Garrett Richards, uh, when we all expect them to take a leap forward. Yeah, they're in a really good position. I think, you know, I wrote about this when it became clear that the Padres weren't re- weren't going to make a run this year, that like all the talk about them as a fringe contender probably was a year early, that it was just more in hope than expectation. Um but we, ex- I certainly expect them to be very serious contenders in 2020, and Paddock's a, a big part of that. And, you know, God, we, you know, what do we devote like three segments to him in the first five weeks of the season? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any pitcher who really captured our imagine- imagination the way he did. And then at closer, uh, this is a guy who was the ringer MLB team closer last year. This is the meanest, it- this might be the meanest thing you've ever said. He, if you think about any relief pitcher in baseball who has generated more conversation this year. Can you say it? It's anyone except Edwin Diaz, who was the best pitcher in baseball last year and is one of the worst this year. Like Craig Kimbrell might give him a run for his money at this point, but just the strangeness of Diaz this season where like every number besides home runs allowed looks great. And then you just look at his home runs allowed number and his ERA and it's just a disaster. And just for the strangeness, for the the fall, for the fact that I think he's probably going to be good again next year, uh, I think Diaz deserves to make a, a team like this alone, even though he obviously doesn't deserve any other sort of a word for his 2019 performance. You didn't even mention like the the trade discourse. What oh, a yeah. dominant storyline between that, like through no fault of his own, he got wrapped up in the Robinson Cano discourse, the Justin Dunn and Jared Kelnick discourse, the Brody Van Wagenen discourse. You know, he's like just sort of Forrest Gumped his way into, you know, six or seven interesting, uh, much discussed storylines this season that didn't really have a whole lot to do with him. You know, and specifically the way he was pitching. Um, but yeah, he's been all over all over the place in terms of narrative and in terms of performance this year. Uh, as, as we wrap up, I know we're running out of time, but just to go back to your question about who can hit 400, I just looked it up. There's only one active player who has ever hit even 350 in a season in which he qualified for the batting title. Oh he did boy. it twice. Do you know who it is? Does Ichiro still count as a... An he active no player? longer counts as okay. active on the baseball reference filter. No, Miguel Cabrera do it? He got up to 348 
Okay. But not quite through. I Kirby. feel okay. I feel okay yeah. having that guess and, and being it's, wrong. It's uh, it? Albert Pujols. Oh, hit wow. 350 twice last decade as a Cardinal. So there's your answer, folks. Albert Pujols is the best bet to f- hit 400 in a season. Oh, boy. Albert Pujols hitting 350 seems like a, a, a different lifetime. Wow. Anyway, may- maybe he'll make the Ringer MLB team next year when he hits 400. How many years are left on that contract? A couple. I feel like Three, I should I know this off the top of my head. Oh boy. Well, you know, he'll we'll we'll give him the the Ozzy Smith Memorial All Ringer uh when he retires. But yeah, it's been what a long journey that's been. Two years left. It's three counting this season. Okay. So almost there. All right. Speaking of long journeys, it's time to end this segment. Zach, thanks so much. Until the playoffs. All right, we'll be back after this with Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. Hard to believe summer is in the rearview mirror. I know I had a lot of time going on vacation, watching baseball, but as vacation season wraps up and you fall back into your normal routine, here is an opportunity to get stuff done with LegalZoom. Right now, LegalZoom is making it easier to say so long to summer by saving you 10% off the things you need to accomplish. For all you entrepreneurs out there that haven't set up an LLC, DBA, or S-Corp for your business, now's the time to save money. And if you've been meaning to wrap up your last will or living trust but can't seem to find the time, take a moment to do the right thing for your family. And if you get confused or have questions, don't let that slow you down because LegalZoom isn't a law firm, but their network of independent attorneys and tax professionals can give you the advice you need to make the right decisions. Save 10% for a limited time on things you've been meaning to do with LegalZoom. Just go to LegalZoom.com right now and use code MLB at checkout. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. After a grueling 162-game season, playoff baseball is finally here. I'm looking forward to the wildcard matchups, particularly in the American League, and I intend to be glued to the couch for large stretches of the early stages of the playoffs. And if you could say the same, and you want to be glued to the couch for every inning of October Magic, glue yourself to the best couch out there, Burrow. Your Burrow sofa can handle the rattiest game day hang with a kiln-dried Baltic birch frame and durable fabric that's naturally scratch and stain resistant. Burrow is totally custom. We'll pick your favorite color, leg finish, armrest style, and length, even add a chaise lounge or ottoman. With built-in USB chargers, you can look up game highlights for hours without worrying about your phone dying. Burrow sofas are easy to set up and easy to move, and you can always add or remove seats as needed. Burrow offers free one-week shipping, so you can have your new sofa set up by next week's game. Now, my Burrow sofa came in a couple boxes, and I put it together, and despite that, despite it all being light enough to carry, uh, I, as somebody who likes to eat on the sofa, and as a cat owner, and as someone who spends a lot of time in my living room, uh, have been really satisfied with how it's held up to the wear and tear over the years, despite being lightweight, easy to move, easy to assemble. This playoff season, don't settle for your same old couch. Settle into a comfy new Burrow sofa. Get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping at burrow.com slash MLB. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash MLB for $75 off a new sofa. Happy to be joined for the first time on the podcast by Susan Slusser, who is the uh, Oakland A's beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Susan, thanks for joining the show. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to have you on because we've talked a lot about the Rays and the and the Indians and a lot of the other teams, the AL wildcard picture. But the the A's are, are a little bit mysterious uh, to us, <laughs> despite them being uh a game and a half up on Tampa, two up on Cleveland as we record. BP has their playoff odds at 94.8%. Uh, and yet, I'm not really, they're 
almost certainly going to be in the wild card game. And yet I'm not sure who they'd want to throw or how many pitchers they'd want to throw. So that's like my big question. Who who do you think is their best pitcher right now? And how might they they set up their uh, their pitching staff for a wild card game? Well, it's really interesting. It's such a contrast from last year when obviously they they went with an opener at Yankee Stadium, which did not work out quite so well. Uh, they've got a, a, a like an assortment of riches really this year. Nobody was expecting, you know, coming into the season, we all thought the rotation was a massive question mark. And this year, uh, the way it lines up, the guys who would be most likely to start a wild card would be Mike Fires, who had a terrible start at Houston and came out of a start with a little bit of a, you know, a nerve issue and then had a fantastic start. Sean Manaya, who's been absolutely terrific since he came off the IL, but very limited, you know, small sample size. And Homer Bailey, who's mostly been great, especially at home, uh, if they get a home wild card game, which it looks like they might, those three all could line up for that day very easily with just like an extra day of rest or, or what have you, just mixing things up here in the last week. So they have a really interesting um, bunch of possibilities. And then the best thing, I think, as far as the A's are concerned, is middle relief has been far and away their biggest problem all year. And they seem to have sort of solved that with some call-ups. You know, A.J. Puck could pitch, uh, you know, intimidating left-hander who's been compared to Randy Johnson. Jesus Lazardo, who is absolutely phenomenal, their top prospect, also left-handed, crafty, just phenomenal, devastating stuff. He can pitch in middle relief. And then they have some other options, like the Bassett or, of course, Hughes Merrill Petit. So uh, I think the A's are very happy with any of the ways they could potentially go, including what had been their biggest stumbling block. And so it sounds like how whoever ends up getting that start, whether it's Fires or Bailey or or somebody else or Manaya, there's there won't be that much pressure. Obviously, they won't do the bullpen chain like they did last year, but uh, there won't be that much pressure to maybe go more than twice through the order. Is that is that how you I think, think that's uh, exactly they might the set plan. that up? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly the plan. So you mentioned AJ Puck and I apologize to Bobby. I always bring up college baseball on the on the show, but he was he's somebody who I saw a little bit when he was at, at Florida in his draft year, and he was spectacular. And I thought he was the best pitcher uh, in that draft class. And he struggled a little bit uh, in his first uh, taste of major league action. And, you know, he's obviously gotten to the point where where you think the, the A's would be comfortable pitching him in a playoff game. His, you know, has anything changed or is or is there really not that much to those uh, those first couple rocky outings. Well, I think the first couple of times he came in, you know, the A's are, have been very good about, uh, you know, bringing up young pitchers and then putting them sort of immediately in like sort of soft landing situations. They weren't able to do that with AJ Puck. <laughs> He's pitching in relief because they want to limit his innings coming off of Tommy John surgery. And he, the first couple of times it was in close games or tie games and he clearly wasn't as comfortable. They want him coming in to start innings, not in the middle of innings, obviously, because he's really a starter and not a reliever. And they weren't able to do that either. So I think it was a little bit of fish out of water, nerves, you know, first couple of major league games. Now he looks really comfortable. They are definitely pointing him toward clean innings, coming in to start an inning, uh, usually with a lead, and he's thrived. And just looks, you know, they tell him, go out there, you're getting two innings, maybe three if it's limited pitches. And he is sensational in that role. So uh, obviously he goes back to being starter next year as does yeah. Jesus Lozardo. But man, uh, those two both look absolutely terrific in that kind of uh, 
you know, come in in the sixth or seventh and, and pitch a couple of innings roll. And if you get them going through a lineup once, wow, they, they could really yeah. be uh, difference makers. Yeah, and I I want to talk about Lazardo because there was some talk, and, and I believe you wrote about this uh, a couple weeks ago, that they might not be able to keep him on the postseason roster because he was a late add to the 40-man. Uh, with uh, And you know, I'll just let you explain that situation, maybe how that's evolved over the, the past couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think most people know anybody in the organization is eligible, uh, even if they are not on the 40-man uh, as of August 31st. But if they're not on the 40-man as of August 31st, they have to take the spot of somebody either on the 60-day deal who has already served 60 days at least or somebody who's on the 10-day who has served at least 10 days. Now, right now, the A's have two such spots, theoretically. One is Daniel Gossett, who we know won't be back. He's out with Tommy John surgery. That's a 60-day spot. He's been out all year. That spot assuredly goes to Sean Murphy because right now the A's only have one catcher who's playoff eligible, and that's Josh Presley. Sean Murphy's been fantastic. Of course, he's on the playoff roster. So the other spot is Steven Piscotti. Uh, Piscotti is sort of, you know, it's 50-50 if he's ready to go by the end of the season. Uh, limited possibilities to get him out to see, to get any at-bats, uh, you know, maybe some instructs, that kind of thing. Uh, it was very bad ankle sprain. I, my, I suspect he gets that spot. He's also could put Blake Trinan on the 10-day DL, backdate it, and that could be a possibility, too, if the body's close because Trinan's out. So, uh, yeah, they, they, the A's will find a way to have Jesus Lizardo on the roster for a wildcard game, probably for a first round. And then if the body's available or Trinan's available, it's an interesting proposition because then you, you know, Lizardo could take an IL spot in any round, but would have to be an IL spot. Yeah, and so... Is there a chance that maybe Trining comes back at the A's advance? There is a chance. Um, you know, he has not been very good all year. And certainly, if he's healthy, you, you can't just hide a guy on the IL, uh, you know, un- under CBA and, and other just sort of fairness of, of play kind of ideas. Uh, but I think if there's even any doubt if he is physically fine uh, and ready to go, which includes the ability to go and pitch somewhere, uh, I think the A's err on the side of passion, particularly, you know, when it comes to a playoff roster spot. If he's not ready to go, he's not ready to go. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is the, you mentioned the bullpen, sort of the middle relief uh, uh, being less reliable. You know, Lou Trevino took a step back from last year. Trina was, I don't know, maybe the best relief pitcher in baseball last year. And he's, in addition to injuries, just, you know, wasn't that good this year. But Liam Hendricks has really stepped up. And he's somebody who who filled out sort of the, a middle relief role. And he's, you know, gone multiple innings. He's been the guy at the back end of the the bullpen. You know, what's been different about Liam Hendricks? You know, he made the all-star team this year. What's been, been different about him this year as opposed to, to years past? Yeah, you know what? I, Liam Hendricks and Marcus Simeon, are, to me, are the best stories on the A's roster this year. Uh, partly because they both remade themselves in a way. Liam Hendricks, the A's designated him for, for assignment last June uh, of last year. And nobody claimed him. So he went down to the minor leagues, and he, he would tell you himself, he completely adjusted his attitude. He went down, he started, uh, he changed his diet. He went back to throwing a lot of long troughs to, to get his arms stronger and be more prepared. He worked on a ton of things. And he sort of got away from a, you know, some guys get to the major league, they're there for a few years, and it, it kind of creeps in, like, I belong to be here. He, he got rid of that. He thought, like, nobody 
nobody owes me anything. I have to do this myself and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be a good teammate and I'm not going to complain. And he came up and he said, I'll do anything. And that's how he wound up being the opener at Yankee Stadium in the wildcard game last year, which we all thought was, well, this is crazy. That guy got designated. And so this year he comes in saying great attitude, working hard, great condition, good stuff. And when things went south with first Trinan and then Trevino, Liam Hendricks was the one guy who consistently was performing well. So, he, you know, he's sent it into the closer role. He's been absolutely terrific there. And he, he saved their bacon. I mean, with his bat as the A's bullpen has been, by and large, this season, Liam Hendricks has, has really, on the pitching side, he's the reason that they're in the position that they're in. And, you know, in, in terms of position players, Marcus Simeon, he's really the guy. And, again, somebody who completely changed their game, put their ego completely aside, transformed themselves, and he, now he's an MVP candidate. So the A's have two really, really great stories, and both guys who did it 100% themselves. And what's the, you know, could you go a little bit deeper on, on Semyon, what he's changed, you know, how he's, he's uh, remade himself this year? Yeah, when, it, when the A's made, made the trade with the White Sox and brought Simeon in, you know, the Justin Marja deal, um, which is, a, in retrospect, a really a ridiculously phenomenal deal. The A's also got Chris Bassett and Josh Hedley in that deal. Um, Simeon set an Oakland record, in fact, an athletic franchise record for errors. Uh, and so many of them were early on at shortstop. He made about eight in a two-week span early, and that's when the A's, went and hired Ron Washington to come back to be a coach, uh, got, got rid of for um, Mike Iago in the, in, the, in the process. And uh, he worked with him all year, and he told Simeon, we're going to tear down your game. You're going to go back to absolute basics, like the fundamentals. Here's how you feel the baseball. Here's how you throw a baseball. Throw out everything you've done before. And a lot of players would have said, like, heck no, I'm not doing that. This is what got me here. Marcus said, whatever you want to do, I'm going to do. And they absolutely went from ground zero and to where he is now, which is one of the best all-around shortstops in the game. And it took a long time. You know, his, he made a lot of errors that year. He was learning. Uh, and then the next year, every year they went down. And last year he was a Gold Glove finalist. And this year he is an MVP candidate. And that's all due to him being completely selfish, putting his ego aside, and working so hard. I can't even tell you. First guy there every day, last guy to leave, just doing anything he could to get better. And he is, he's a force and, and stable, just very steady. The A's know they can rely on him. He's started every game. He's played almost every inning. Uh, quiet, but leads by example. He's from the Bay Area. They're just, you know, every sort of plus that you can pick off, Marcus Simeon brings to the A's. So we look at this this roster, you know, I personally I'm most excited about those young pitchers we talked about right off the bat. And, you know, Matt Chapman is uh very popular around these parts, Sir Simeon and and Ramon Laureano. But how do you think this team matches up, you know, if uh you know, if you feel comfortable making like this this kind of evaluation, <laughs> how do you think they match up in a one game playoff with either Tampa or Cleveland? And is there uh, an opponent you think they might rather see or you think they might match up better against? Well, the A's played very well against Tampa and Cleveland, but both of those uh, series were mostly earlier in the season and the rosters changed so much. It's really hard to handicap based on that. The A's are playing right now as well as they have all year. They win series. One game, it's just impossible to, to predict. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I just don't, I, I can't even imagine. I don't even know why anybody would like put money on a one game, you know, a series, if you, if you will. But the, the fact that the A's, did solve their biggest problem, which was middle relief. I think if they had gone in with what they were dealing with, with the bullpen, I would have said, like, eh, kind of a crapshoot. 
I think they're very happy with where they are right now. But, you know, they, they do have issues among, uh, on, in the lineup. Um, Chapman is not hitting right now. He has been uh, really in a, a big slump for the better part of a you know, month and a half. Uh, comes back for a week or two, looks like he's got everything resolved. And, but uh, it's been rougher than not for the, for the last month or so. Uh, Chris Davis all year has struggled. And, uh, you know, it, they, the A's know what they can bring him, but he is not hitting home runs reliably, and, which is shocking. He's not even hitting 247, which I think, as you guys know, is really shocking. Oh, so uh, We know. We've talked you know, they, about that a had, lot here. Yeah, these are two guys that, you know, the A's could rely on for a long time who are incredibly consistent, who are not right now. But they've got they've had a, everybody else that picks up the slack. So, um, you know, I think they'll score runs. They are a lineup that can score runs. But those two guys are a concern going into a postseason series of any kind and any length. So let's let's look ahead a little bit because one thing that I mean this this strikes me is um, it's not well it's not going to matter in in a wild card game it's that but it would matter going forward is that Tampa has a very deep rotation particularly with the guys who are just getting back right now Cleveland has multiple uh, you know Mike Clevenger and Shane Bieber that they could throw at a. Uh, at a five game series, you know, we mentioned Sean Mania and fires and, and Bailey as guys who might be able to turn over a lineup a couple times before handing it over to, to some of the guys in the bullpen. You know, do you think the, you know, how do, what do you think about their rotation as, as having the potential to compete against Houston or the Yankees in a five or seven game series? And, you know, is that something that, uh, that you think they'll be able to work around? Yeah. The A's have played Houston and the Yankees, super tough all year, including recently. Uh, and I think a lot of that has been the rotation and the fact that the rotation has picked it up. The A's aren't intimidated by either of those teams right now because they have played them both so well. Uh, the, the rotation has been a major strength for the A's. So I wouldn't, I think people look at it and they're underwhelmed, right? There's no huge name. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no real Cy Young candidate. But uh, they've been solid. You know, you, they go really four or five deep. Chris Bassett had a decent season. Brett Anderson had a decent season, a little bit of a fizzle uh, toward the end, but mostly reliable. Uh, you're not going to get to those guys in the playoff series anyway. So, uh, and, and Bassett's available in middle relief and, and uh, is a guy who can do it. So I, I think the guys, you know, I think they feel good about facing anybody, including the Yankees and, and Astros. I that's about this as well as I can put it. All right. Well, one last one, and then I'll let you go. I know we've talked about like ten or twelve players in in just this, this short time, and some level of depth. Is there somebody that maybe is under the radar who you have a sense could could wind up playing a big role in a wild card game? Well, you mentioned Loriano, and Loriano is a fan favorite for a reason. He's a, he's an electrifying player. His arm is you know it's not a secret. He he might have the best arm in baseball right now. And the A's moved him to right with Piscotty being on the IL, and the, we've seen games where teams have a runner at third with nobody out. And then, you know, the next two guys hit medium to deep fly balls and the runner on third does not move. Just doesn't even move. He's, his, his arm is that much of a weapon. And offensively, you know, he's got some power. He can hit balls in the gap. He can run. Uh, he's had leg injuries, so he's maybe not quite as fast as he was. He's a little prone to mistakes in the outfield, but, um, you know, that's, you know, part of being like an exciting, adventuresome player, he's, he's he brings adventure all the way around, and I think he's a guy who really could shine in a postseason series. He wants it. He wants it really badly. So I would say, look out for Ramon Laureano. If the A's wind up going deep into the playoffs, this is a guy that 
people will know his name and they're really going to enjoy watching him. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the, the a couple minutes out of your schedule to, to come and talk to us. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Fantastic. Live from Disneyland. You probably don't get that oh, very wow. often. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Say hi to Mickey Mouse for me. Absolutely. Hit, hitting Peter Pan up next. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place that you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect qualified candidates, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerMLB. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerMLB. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-M-L-B. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerMLB. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. After that scintillating bit of commerce, we are back to wrap up the All Ringer team with the American League and Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing all right, although I've got to say that from the looks of things, our AL All-Ringer team just cannot compete with the NL All-Ringer team. I don't know what it is, but I've had trouble filling out my roster here. Yeah, and I, unlike Zach, who actually sent me his, his picks, you uh, consulted with us, but have kept the final roster to yourself. So uh, <laughs> yes. I am interested to see who you reveal. So go ahead. Yeah, I, I had to scramble on some. I don't know what it is. Is it that our staff is mostly Mets fans? I think, is, more, is that I think <laughs> just like you and I are just old and jaded at this point. There's Could no be. joy left. Yeah, or maybe it's just that the league is so lopsided that I don't. there hasn't been as much competition on certain teams. Uh, maybe we've been gravitating more toward the NL and oh, paying Tani attention got hurt, more to... You know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I might still put him on my team. Okay, of course, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll start with catcher, I suppose, and indicative of how light this roster is. I'm going with someone you suggested, which is Adley Rutschman, who obviously number one pick in the draft, to the Baltimore Orioles, so he is a person of great significance to Mallory Rubin, and he is a, a person of significance in baseball in general. I think the number one pick always is, so even though we didn't actually see him play above a ball, I think he kind of takes the cake here because someone like Mitch Garver should have been the all-ringer team pick here, but for whatever reason, we just didn't really give Mitch Garver his due this year, I don't think. We didn't own that beat, so going to have to go yeah. with Rutschman, who kind of tore up the the New York Penn League right after he was drafted. We probably should have picked Garver for this anyway. Now that I think about it, but like, I don't know, yeah. what's what's more all ringer than like uh, than displacing analysis for a bit? Um, <laughs> so and coming out of nowhere at a somewhat advanced age to turn into peak Mike Piazza all of a sudden, someone whose name no one knew at the start of the season. Who was that? Has, who was that old pitcher you inter- you cold called on effectively wild years ago? <laughs> Oh, Is Ned Garver. Ned Garver. I think about him yes. every time Mitch Garver comes up. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. it took like a cup, maybe like a year into his major league career before, like, I realized that they were talking about the Twins yeah. catcher and, and not the the old pitcher. <laughs> no um, relation, I believe. So, yeah, if you want to go with Mitch Garver, I think that's a good pick. But in well, terms let, of who we actually talked about and slacked about, it, yeah. it might be a non major leaguer. Let me just stump for. Uh, 
for Rutschman for a bit, you know, him being a Baltimore Orioles prospect, uh, which is obviously of interest to Mallory, him being uh, maybe the the best college baseball position player of the of the 2010s, which is of interest to me. I think that intersection drove a lot of the conversation. You mentioned Pete Mike Piazza. Um, when I wrote him up pre-draft, I said he's a better prospect now than Buster Posey was at the equivalent point in his career. Uh, I stand by that now, and I think I might have been light. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not saying it's a nailed on fact that he's going to be better than Buster Posey. I think, but I think like best catcher of his generation is a possibility that we should prepare ourselves for. So that's, okay. that's what I'll say after the first couple months of, of Rutschman's career. So he will probably make this team at least once more, as long as we're doing the podcast. All right. So we'll toss this bone to Orioles fans since I don't think Trey Mancini is making my, my roster here. So moving on to first base where I guess Trey Mancini has a case because it's pretty thin. I wanted to go with Spencer Torkelson, but he is not a major league player and not an American league player. So I'm yeah, kind of cheating all, He's here. all ringer pack 12. Yeah, certainly. So uh, I'm cheating here and I'm going with Williams Astadio who has to make my roster just through my sheer love for him. I think that propels him onto the all-ringer roster as long as he is a big leaguer. And he did play more games at first base than he played anywhere else. And the thing is that Williams Estadio was not good this year. He started out well. But before we began to believe that Williams Estadio would be good, we were interested in him because we thought he would be the anti-true outcomes player and he'd never strike out and he never walked. And he has delivered on that promise. So even though he ultimately had a disappointing season, got hurt, and his stats sort of went in the tank, he did deliver on the initial thing that attracted him to us. So Williams Estadio, who no one really thinks of as a first baseman, is my first baseman because I don't know who else I would have gone with. Maybe Matt Olson or someone, but yeah. no one really stood out at this position. Yeah, Estadio, I think, has the highest approval rating of anybody in MLB yes. Slack. I think he is and the most probably, universally beloved player among our yeah. staff. The highest ratio of highlights to actual on-field oh, yeah. performance, because even though he was not good this year, he still managed to find ways to get tweeted about and get gift constantly. All right. Who's the second baseman? Going to go with DJ LeMayhew here because we have some Yankees fans on staff and they've been stumping for him. And again, not a whole lot of great picks at this position. And LeMayhew, of course, has had a great season Unfortunately, I think that has led to some perhaps undeserved MVP talk when it comes to LeMayhew, which I will not have on this podcast, at least while I'm on it. But LeMayhew has been great, and he's been close to a constant for the Yankees this season, while almost everyone else has been in and out, and he's obviously exceeded expectations. So I think he earns this spot. Yeah, I think that's a, a solid pick. Uh, he's definitely, like, we talk about, Zach and I talked about players who or perhaps more accurately, I talked at Zach about the concept of players driving the narrative without actually being the best player in the league. And I think LeMahieu is mm -hmm. is one of those guys that you need to write about and take note of uh, at this point. Yes. Now, shortstop is a tough one. This is the one position where the AL actually has some depth and I wasn't sure whom to pick. So we've got the all Bauman team pick, Bo Bichette, who I think has a strong case. We've got Glaber Torres, who has really been the one constant for the Yankees this year, and he had the complete domination of the Orioles, which yeah, is one yeah, of the yeah, seasons. And there goes that Adley Rutschman facts. balloon as you deflate yeah. the Orioles again. <laughs> right. 
And then also there's Tim Anderson, who was at the center of the bat flip controversy. He is the leading contender right now for the batting title. It looks like he's going to win it unless LeMahieu steals it at the last second here. Even though Anderson never walks, I like a guy who never walks but hits 330 no matter how fluky it is. And he's obviously a very charismatic player, a player with some personality. So he would be my pick, but if you want to argue for Bichette or Glaber, I, I can see your case. Yeah, I think I find Bo Bichette more entertaining. I mean, I find Bo Bichette more entertaining than just about anybody in any position in any sport. Uh, but Tim Anderson has definitely been at the center of the zeitgeist this year, which is tough yes. to do on a on a White Sox team that has been out of it since uh, I was May 1st of like... 2013 or whatever um (laughs) so yeah good for him he was a a guy who like this was a a put up or shut up deer for him uh Mm -hmm. the lack of walks doesn't matter that much when you hit 330 but it matters a lot when you're hitting the way he was first couple years of his career so huge year for him in in every respect we certainly ended up talking about him and talking about people who talk about him uh, as much as maybe any player in the american league Mm mm-hmm Third base is tough. I I think I'm going to go with someone who actually had a somewhat disappointing season, but only because the expectations were so sky high. And that is Vlad Guerrero Jr., who obviously didn't do what we had all hoped that he would do, but he was such a riveting figure early in the season. Tuning in to see Vlad's belated first at bat was something that I think probably the entire Ringer staff and internet shared. So we had that collective moment. And then, of course, he had the coming out party at the Home Run Derby, which he didn't win, but it seems like he won. He certainly put on the most impressive power display. So he has sort of salvaged his season in the second half and after that slump that he started his career with. But I think if you had to go with just the highest profile figure at this position, certainly not the best, like Bregman is the best and Bregman probably would have made this team last year, but he just hasn't been as outspoken this year. He hasn't really perfected that heel persona that he was honing last season, much to our dismay. He's just been kind of quietly and steadily great. And then there's Devers, who, of course, Bill loves and Zach has written about, but he slumped a bit in September. And to me, it's just Vlad, I think, is the story of the season at third base, even though that season didn't go quite how we wanted it to. So I I think the case for Vlad, like, can you name one thing in this baseball season that brought you more joy than the home run derby? Right. I don't think so. So the counter argument, and this might just be because we work with Ben Glixman, who won't shut up about Gio Urshela, but True. Gio Urshela, I think, has a case here as well. Uh, yeah. As somebody who like completely changed his game, like in mm-hmm. Cleveland, he was a great defender who couldn't hit a lick, and you know, I pit briefly pitched, but ended up not writing a column of how Gio Urshela became the best player in baseball, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously ended up not doing that. But he had an incredible year, but. Yeah, at the same time, just from like a narrative perspective, having him and LeMahieu seems a little bit redundant. Um, mm-hmm. So I agree with the the Vladito pick, but uh, Rochelle, I think, warrants some in the conversation. Yes, indeed. All right. So in the outfield, I don't think we had to separate it into left, center, right, but I ended up doing that because it worked out that way. Anyway, I'm kind of fudging things a bit here, but in left field, I'm going with Jordan Alvarez, who is 
actually a DH, but he did play some left field games in left he field. If he were to play the yeah. field, yeah, he he would be a left fielder. And he has obviously just been one of the most scintillating players this season. The AL Rookie of the Year field did not look the same before he arrived and just completely made it his own. You've written about him. We've talked about him. We've discussed how he really rounded out that Astros lineup. And he's had just one of the most impressive offensive rookie seasons ever, I think you could say. He's been, you know, plate appearance per plate appearance, the best hitter in the league, if not the majors. So I think the fact that he kind of came more or less out of nowhere, I mean, he was a prospect, but I don't think anyone expected this sort of brilliance out of him so soon. And uh, that will stand out in my mind when I think back on this season. Yeah, he's a guy who who really put himself on the map because I, I think we were unanimous. Everybody who filled out preseason predictions that Guerrero was going to win AL Rookie of the Year. And yeah. I think it, it's going to be Jordan Alvarez in a walk. Um, yes. Yeah, I don't I don't know who's particularly close. And just the the fact that he came into what it was, what was one of the best lineups of all time before he got there and like really revolutionized it or, you know, transformed it. Like, I don't know, there's like, I look at him and I see like prime David Ortiz or Ryan Howard, like that level of, of power to all fields and just having that in the middle of, a bunch of righties who make uh, who make a lot of contact and hit a lot of mm-hmm. doubles has been. I mean, it just changes the way you have to approach Houston. So, yeah. he, and he yeah, also has that that tape measure shot thing going oh, yeah. for him. It's not just that he is good at hitting, but he it's hits not remarkable to hit a lot of home runs. And, right, he hits. You have to hit spectacular home runs. Triple, yeah. you know, third deck where no one hits balls, and he hits them there in batting practice and sometimes in games too. So he's been a, a spectacle just all around. So that was one of my easiest picks. And the easiest pick of all, of course, is the center field pick, Mike Trout, who essentially has this position sewn up on the all-ringer team as long as he is an active player. (laughs) And yeah, I I think like I've picked him when I do the all-MLB.TV team at the beginning of each season. He's been on Mm -hmm. it every year and yeah, I don't think I've even written a blurb the past couple years. Right. And for the third outfielder, this was kind of tough and I went with Yasiel Puig who Kind of gets grandfathered in. He was in the team on the team last year, and there's still a lot of lingering love for Yasio Puig around the ringer offices. And I put him on here, even though he didn't have really a standout season, because he had the brawl where he fought the entire Pirates team. And technically, he was an AL player at yeah. that point because <laughs> he had just been traded and didn't know it yet and was brawling right after the trade deadline. So I'm going to put him on here. And he's been a bit better with Cleveland than he'd been in Cincinnati. There are other picks. I mean, you know, maybe Mookie deserves to just have this spot the way that Trout does. I feel like we haven't we'll talked about Mookie much. We'll hear from Red Sox fans if we didn't mention Yeah, that. I mean, we haven't talked about Mookie much this season, I guess, because he kind of came down off the extremely high high of last year. He's still the the player I would take after Trout if I were doing a, a draft of everyone in baseball and he still had a fantastic season but didn't quite get to the peak that he was at last season and other contenders there's Brett Gardner who we gave a little love to last week and he's not only been very good and surprisingly good but he's kind of pioneered new ways to be to pout after getting called out and to argue with umpires and to bang the roof of the dugout with bats. And then I guess there's Mark Canna, who we gave a little love to mm-hmm. last year too, but hadn't really talked to before that, uh, talked about before that point. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, you're no, you're never going to go wrong 
picking Puig. This is one one area where I might uh, disagree with you. I, I I might go with Max Kepler. Maybe he's not as discussed, but I think he's been an important mm-hmm. player. Uh, somebody who has that novelty that like we haven't seen from what he did this year uh, uh, in seasons past. So I'd say, you know, if if this was just me picking these teams, I'd probably put Austin Meadows here maybe because he's mm-hmm. had a, a great season for Tampa Bay. He's been like the tent pole of, of that lineup. And so, you know, he hasn't gotten talked about uh, enough, which, you know, might be my fault for just not talking about him in Slack enough. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think Puig is, is sort of a sort of a known quantity at this point. And, you know, I don't disagree that, that he's been influential. We've talked about him a lot, but yeah, he hasn't been that good this year. No, he hasn't. <laughs> but you don't necessarily have to be good That's to true. make this team. You that just have to, to find a place in our hearts. So I don't know if we do a DH, but we might as well do a DH. This could be a way for me You're to gonna, sh- shoehorn Shohei yeah, yeah. onto this team. Really, it should probably be Nelson Cruz, who is having just a, a fantastic season. He's up to 40 homers now. He is 39 years old, and he is still raking one of the best home run hitters in baseball over several years now and just has not declined at all. In fact, he's having perhaps his best season in a decade or so on a per-plate appearance basis, and he's doing it for the Twins, and he's part of their whole resurgence. Obviously, no one is going to displace Otani, I think, when it comes to our interest in him, but his role has not been as interesting this year as it was last year, and neither is his performance. So he is almost a a shoe-in for this team in 2020, provided he does the two-way thing again, but... I think as long as he's around, he he comes close, and and I wanted to mention he's him at least. The only baseball entity you will shoehorn in a conversation more <laughs> than I will shoehorn like the 2016 Florida Gators in a conversation, <laughs> which I've done in a previous segment on this podcast already. Yeah, all right. Um. All right. Yeah. And apologies to Joey Gallo, by the way. We didn't mention Joey Gallo. Uh, he was because, awesome. Yeah. I, early I on, love Joey Gallo. He looked yeah. like a lock for this team. And he, you know, not only kept hitting the the bombs, but he had become a better hitter. But then he got hurt and he's just kind of fallen off the radar for the second half of the season. So I don't know if he he earns it, but we want him to be there. So we're up to the pitching staff. And I don't know, it seems to me like the all ringer team pitching staff is basically like the best pitchers in the league this year. I don't know if there are any under the radar hipster picks here because I think you have to have. I, I Garrett think if Cole. you want to, I I would say one guy who's a little bit off the radar is CC Sabathia, okay. who uh, has just been a constant presence in yeah. what in his last season in the big leagues. Um, I don't know if that's like enough, but you know, he would be. I think he would be number four uh, if I had to, yeah. to pick. But I, I hope we have the same first three. <laughs> I think so. Well, you have to have Colin Verlander. I think yes. it's just the AL Cy Young race probably comes down to these two guys. And it's a really compelling head-to-head matchup. Of course, they're on the same team. But I think they are just both so superlative. And Cole's strikeout rate has been so incredible. And Verlander's success at an advanced age has been amazing. And he always finds ways to insert himself into conversations because yeah. he's been outspoken about the juiced ball, for instance. And and his season is just so strange because he's been victimized by home runs. And yet he also has like one of the lowest BABIPs and highest strand rates ever. And so it's like, has he been unlucky or lucky or both? That it's just very confusing when you look at his stat line, but it's very impressive regardless. And so. it's, I, 
I think it's probably going to be that second Cy Young for him, which like I, when I wrote about this a couple weeks ago, I, I was like, he's close. Like you look at the seasons he's had, like, yeah, he deserves like four or five. Should have four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should have four rather than having one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, you know, as much as, uh, as much as you and I both love Shane Bieber and as much as yes. we've all talked about like James Paxton, I think those are the obvious first two. Yeah. And I was prepared to put up a fight about Lance Lynn and to take a principal stand here, but I'm not going to, you know what you, you earned it this year. You deserve it because Lance Lynn, he's been on the Alabama team for years and years, but this year he actually was one of the best pitchers in baseball and no one really he's saw that coming except for you. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball for a long time and this year okay. people finally noticed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the rest of the world caught on to what you had always seen about Lance Lynn. And so he's had a a surprising season to most of us, an impressive one. And then, yeah, Bieber was someone under consideration just because uh, I've been bragging about my breakout pick for him all year. And you wrote about him and he's had a fun season. So uh, that's kind of my top four, I guess. And and maybe CC deserves a spot there. But I was looking for someone who's kind of like the, the ringer sentimental pick who would not be most people's pick, but I sort of struggled to come up with one here. I was going to say, ordinarily, it's Lance Lynn, but this <laughs> right. year, like, he's actually <laughs> he went got a shot at the Cy Young podium. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, apologies to John Means, I guess, but hey, we had an Oriole on here, so... We did the best we could. I, I'm envious of the NL roster that Zach had to pick from because it just goes so deep. Like, I feel like if you were doing an MLB draft, I'd probably take a, a handful of NL guys before I took my first AL guy, except for Trout, maybe. So I don't know why it was that this season the NL was so rich in ringer beloved talent, but that's the way it worked out. I find that interesting that you say that, considering that earlier when we were deciding who was doing the American League uh and the National League, Zach asked if you had a preference, and I'll quote from from our group chat. You said, "Not really." Yep. So I'm glad you I'm you discovered a the preference core. after you had already made the wrong decision. Yeah, I hadn't done any research at that point. <laughs> <laughs> then I looked at the leaderboards and said, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're going to be back next week with a whole bunch of, I presume, unless we have a tie, like playoff uh, preview content and, and so on and so forth. Uh, we need to actually like put a bow on our, our preseason prediction contest as well. So uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll figure out how we're going to determine and reveal the the winners of that yeah, and, and how nice that's going to from but. last year where we never followed up on those. <laughs> I was like, I think it was like two or three years ago, actually. But okay. yeah, I, there we are we are making a point to to get that done before we get taken off the air for the offseason. So we are definitely going to do that, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB Show. Thanks, as always, to Zach and Ben. Thanks to my special guest, Susan Slusser, for joining the show today. You can find her work at the San Francisco Chronicle, where in addition to serving as the A's beat writer, she hosts the A's Plus podcast. Uh, and you can follow her on Twitter at Susan Slusser. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's show. I am as grateful for him as the Danny Hetcheveria is for leaving the Mets. Thanks to Pete Alonso, Jesus Lazardo, and Tim Anderson for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the final week of the regular season, and we'll see you next time. Today's 
Today's episode is brought to you by Floor and Decor. Floor and Decor is where the pros go for tile, wood, stone, and installation materials. But the best part about Floor and Decor is their pro services and loyalty reward program. From the dedicated pro hotline to the exclusive pro app, your Floor and Decor team is just a touch away. Visit floorandecor.com today to find a location nearest you. 